Welcome to the 54th episode of Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Chronicle sports writer Rusty Simmons. Warriors fans probably remember Rusty for his time covering Golden State from 2009 to 2016. Now, after a couple years on the Cowbeat, he's back helping out with Warriors coverage. On Tuesday afternoon, I sat down with Rusty to break down Golden State's historic collapse in Game 2, DeMarcus Cousins' quad injury, and much, much more. We'll have our conversation right after the break. Rusty Simmons and I chatted at my apartment on Tuesday afternoon, little more than 12 hours after the Warriors squandered a 31-point lead to fall to the Clippers in Game 2 of the first round. To kick things off, I asked Rusty about his thoughts on that historic collapse. I can't remember them ever blowing a 31-point lead in the playoffs. I can't remember any team ever blowing well, it. It was the first time <laughs> that it ever happened in the playoffs. So, um, yeah, I mean, one, one of the most chaotic I've ever been around. Um, and it was kind of remarkable watching it because I'm sitting between a couple of our columnists and Scott Osler and Ann Killian. And even as we're watching it play out, I don't think there's any thought in any of our minds that the Clippers are actually going to pull this off. So everybody's still going ahead with their storylines based on different portions of the Warriors lineup. Uh, and so to see what finally ended up happening, it was it was absolutely chaotic. It was crazy. I mean, I I remember until probably the last two minutes, I was thinking, OK, I'll just have to add a couple graphs about how they came back. You know, not not that big a deal. But then, you know, they get within three and you're like, okay, are they actually going to blow this? Like, that's not actually going to happen, right? And then they did. Yeah. They yeah. did. Um, and it, on top of the the game itself, you've already got to get down to the locker room and report on what's really going on with DeMarcus Cousins. And so, so there were a lot of players behind, a lot of storylines behind the actual game, too. So, um, yeah, that just added to, to the craziness of the night. You know it's a crazy night when DeMarcus Cousins suffers a potentially season-ending injury, and that's not even the main storyline. I mean, that was secondary to a historic collapse. And then now today uh, we're kind of digesting the ramifications of, of the injury that Cousins suffered. Uh, news came out earlier today that it ended up being a torn uh, left quad muscle, which is an injury – I'm not super familiar with. I'm sure you're not super familiar with. Uh, he will not require surgery. Um, it's looking like he'll probably be done for the postseason. I'd be completely shocked if he came back. What do you think? No, I agree with you. Um, and you're exactly right. All of the quad injuries that I remember, Charles Barkley, Tony Parker, um, Blake Griffin even, they were all the tendon. Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, Kawhi Leonard, they were all the, the, the tendon. And the, and the other thing I thought when I saw Cousins go down initially is that he was grabbing so high up, I thought it might be a hip, which reminded me of David Lee, who went through the same thing um, in the playoffs. But, yeah, apparently this is, is less serious. Um, I mean, when you think about Cousins, everything is serious, right? This was supposed to be the postseason where he right. showed off and got the money that he deserved a year ago. Um, and, and so that's what the, the thing that hits me first is personally you see the grind that he went through to come back from Achilles – um, and now he's got to go through this to come back. And I, I don't think there's any thought of him playing again in this postseason. Yeah, I talked to a doctor earlier today, and he kind of an expert on quad injuries. And he told me, you know, it depends on how serious it is because we, we still don't know the grade of the injury. We don't know how much how severe the tear was. Um, if it was mild, best case scenario, you're looking at maybe a two week recovery. 
you know, if it was if the entire quad was torn completely through, you're looking at at least a six week recovery. But you also have to take into account this is a guy coming off of an Achilles injury, a guy who's six foot eleven, two hundred and seventy pounds with some pretty gruesome uh, injury history on that same left leg. And, you know, you got to think they're going to be really cautious with him. Um, even if he could come back in a couple of weeks, it's hard to imagine them actually letting him because this is a guy who's 28. He still can, you know, feasibly has the rest of his prime ahead of him. Why risk a guy's future, you know, for a couple playoff games? I, I know it's the playoffs, but I, it's just too big of a risk, I think. I think that's exactly right. And and I think you mentioned a lot of really smart things with Cousins to consider his body. Um, the other thing is when I talked to him about the resurgence documentary that came out and he talked a lot about his rehab, he said he was amazed at how quickly his conditioning fell off. So let's say it's the best case scenario. It's a two-week injury. In two weeks, his conditioning will fall off so bad that when they say, okay, now you can get going again, now you're talking about another two, four weeks before he can get back into basketball shape. And I just don't think it makes any sense to put that in the play teammates' minds that he's coming back or to put it in his mind. I think he needs to concentrate on getting healthy. Yeah, and if it's a situation where he's potentially ready to come back at the start of the finals, I mean, obviously something's going right for the Warriors at that point. They've won a couple series without him. They probably like their rotations. They probably like what they're getting out of guys like Kavan and, and Bogut. Why mess with all that when you're talking about, you know, the summit of the sport? I mean, it's one thing if we're talking about Steph Curry here, but we're talking about DeMarcus Cousins, a guy who's in his first year with the team, who, uh, you know, is just a different beast when it comes to that frame. So um, it feels like he's done for the season, which is just so – unfortunate and sad for him because it felt like he put everything into that rehab to come back. I mean, he signed with this team for this exact opportunity to chase a championship, to play in the playoffs. His only game, his only full game he played, he was pretty awful. You know, he, he was bad. And then he he has an okay start to game two and then four minutes in, you know, goes down with that injury. It's just, it's just brutal. You, You can't help but wonder if he'll ever be, the same guy. I know a quad muscle injury isn't necessarily career threatening, but given everything else he's been through, you wonder if he's ever, ever mentally and psychologically psychologically going to be able to get where he needs to be. And and we talked about that right after it happened last night that um, people said at his size that coming back from the Achilles might have been career ending. Right. Um, and I've heard a lot of doctors now say that that's kind of uh, an antiquated thought process. But now you've got two major injuries on the same leg on top of that frame. Um, and so, yeah, it goes beyond just the day to day stuff of, uh, man, you hope that, that he can play basketball again. I mean, this might might be it for him. Um, I wouldn't count him out on anything. Mm-hmm. Seeing what he did with, with the Achilles and the way he's come back, if this is who he was at 80 percent. Yeah, uh, if he ever gets back to 100%, you can't count that guy out. Right, right. I don't I don't I wouldn't say his career's over, but what I am confident saying is that his market value took a huge hit. Um and his his number one objective, you know, probably his number one objective was winning a championship, but his number one A objective in signing with the Warriors was to you know, resuscitate his image, boost his stock so that he could land a really big contract elsewhere and it felt like Entering yesterday, he was in line for that. You know, I, I think he probably was in line to at least triple his salary this summer. You know, he's he's making five point three this year. I you gotta imagine that he was gonna land a deal somewhere in the sixteen, seventeen, eighteen 
million dollar range with with another team this summer but after suffering that type of injury on such a big stage in front of a national tv audience you know going into the summer potentially having to rehab that it's hard to imagine that he's going to get anywhere close to that now you've you followed free agency you know how you know how all this stuff works just as well as i do what do you think he could potentially warrant come july who knows? Who knows? I think you're right online. I, I would have guessed if he wanted this stage so bad, and I think that if he went through the playoffs and had the kind of playoffs that, that he was having during the regular season, um, I think $15, $18 million is about the market for him. Um, now, at this point, who knows? I mean, you saw what happened last summer. Nobody thought that he was going to sign a mid-level with the Warriors, um, but but there were no other takers. And I, I got to assume he'll be in that exact same situation again because um, he's going to be coming off a of rehab. He's going to be coming off all the questions of can he play again? Can he ever get back to that same spot? And so now it's up to him. I'm, it, it, to me, he wanted that stage so bad that I think that he's probably only going to consider contenders. So that takes half the league out. Um, I think he he keeps saying that he wants to go somewhere where he's really appreciated. So that takes another dozen out, right? So now you're only talking about three, four teams to choose between. Um, if anything, if you're a Warriors fan, maybe this is halfway decent news that Maybe he actually considers the Warriors now, which I don't think was much of an option before. Yeah, I mean, that that was exactly where my mind went last night was, okay, now is this one-year rental going to become at least a two-year rental? Because everyone had, you know, talked down, downplayed the possibility of him coming back because it just wouldn't make sense. Um, but now it feels like it makes some sense. Uh, you know, the Warriors can offer 20% raise on his current salary. And his current salary is five one three, so you're looking at around six point four million. And I, based off everything we're saying right now, I gotta think that's probably relatively in line with the other offers he's gonna get. And if it's between coming back to Golden State, a situation that he's been happy in, that he's liked, to potentially chase another title or going somewhere else, you gotta think he's gonna strongly consider coming back. You know, especially given that there's a good chance that. To, Kevin Durant will be gone this summer, maybe even Draymond. He could even have a bigger role on this team next next season. Um, what do you think about about that possibility, or is it just way too early to even get into that? Yeah, it seems weird uh, two games into what they hope is 16 wins in the playoffs, which they hope is another championship run to be thinking about the offseason. But you know the Warriors are already thinking about it. They've done their ghost boards forever that are years ahead. So um, I know that, that they're already thinking about it. And I think that's the common perception is that Kevin Durant's obviously gone. They've got to make a decision on what to do with Draymond because he's going to want to be maxed out this offseason, and that's not going to happen. So do you keep an unhappy Draymond or do you move him along? So then if you can go to DeMarcus with a 20% raise and say, plus now you're the third option, it goes Steph Clay, then you. Um I think that's a pretty good pitch to him, and I'm sure the Warriors are already thinking about that, even though their their number one priority has to be here and now playoffs, try to get the championship again. Yeah, no, it'll be it'll be interesting. Uh, I saw a couple of writers saying that they don't think that the Warriors would even want DeMarcus back, and I, I personally disagree with that. Um, you know, you're not, objectively speaking, you're not going to find better value probably, assuming that he comes back 80, 75, 80% of his peak uh, you're not going to find better value at six million dollars next next season, and this is a guy you're already comfortable with. 
you know, everything, all things considered, has gone pretty well from a locker room standpoint. He's fit in pretty well with what they do. There haven't been any huge red flags. Um, talking to people close to DeMarcus, he's been pretty happy. And I think I think he really appreciates not being the franchise guy. I think he felt that burden early in his career in Sacramento and New Orleans, and he feels a little bit lighter uh, being in a situation where there's not that pressure on him. So it, it'll be interesting, but obviously there's – more pressing matters for the Warriors to deal with right now, such as how do you fill that void? Um, you know, what do you, how, how big of a loss do you think this is? Do you think that this is the type of thing that can derail the Warriors? Or do you think that it might actually not be as big a deal as, as one would assume just looking at his production? Yeah. I mean, so much of it depends on matchups. Um, like in this series against the Clippers, I'm not sure this is a, a loss. In fact, I actually think it makes the Warriors better. Um, the better matchup for this series is Kavon Looney. We've seen that play out already. Um, anytime DeMarcus Cousins was in the game, the Clippers just ran pick and rolls right at him. They were picking on him, um, and he couldn't keep up. His foot speed wasn't there. So um, depending on how the matchups go, this could actually force the hand, which is Kevon Looney's been playing great. He's better in this kind of series. And then they have the ultimate trump card, and they can always go to the death lineup with Draymond playing center, and, and that, that works out, especially for this series, but I think for a lot of other ones. Now, if they end up getting matched up with Oklahoma City down the line, San Antonio, maybe even a little bit of Denver, although Jokic likes to be on the high post more than the block, but um, those kind of series, they're going to miss them. That, that's why where Bogut comes in as an insurance policy, but that's only 20 minutes a night. you got to right. find somebody else to fill the void there. So right now for this series, I actually think it makes them better. <laughs> I'm sure DeMarcus doesn't yeah. want to hear that, but I think it makes them better. But there are some matchups that, that – are out there lurking that, that the Warriors are going to struggle. They're going to have to find somebody else to play those other 28 minutes a night. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it's a huge deal for this series. I I actually, you know, depending on how that Utah-Houston series goes, that'll be interesting to follow because I think that if Houston wins, Houston's up 1-0 right now. If Houston wins, that the Warriors should still be okay in that series because I don't think DeMarcus is a great matchup for Houston either. Um, I don't think, you know, he hasn't been historically very good against Capella. Obviously, those small ball lineups that they, they roll out um, are really tough. So, you know, Kevon Looney has made his name against Houston. You remember last last spring against Houston in the Western Conference Finals? He was really big, switching off ball screens, picking up James Harden and and uh, Chris Paul in isolation on an island. and. And I, I expect that to be a key factor potentially in that series as well. So that's, I don't think, a huge deal if you don't have DeMarcus entering that series. Now, it'll be different, though, if Utah wins that series because Rudy Gobert is an impossible matchup for someone like Kevon Looney. Um, that would be really tough to ask him to do. Um, but, you know, as you kind of touched upon, right now you're really seeing how important of, of a pickup Andrew Bogut was and you know you got to tip your hat to the Warriors for realizing that something like this could happen I mean they they knew that they were not out of the woods with with DeMarcus's health when you have something like an Achilles something else can happen pretty easily and they wanted that insurance and so yes Andrew Bogut is not DeMarcus Cousins but he is a big body who's experienced he doesn't make a lot of mistakes who can eat up some minutes for you in the playoffs without you being nervous 
So that's huge. I think they can feel a lot better knowing that. And I, I don't, I can definitely see them winning a title with Andrew Bogut and Kovan Looney as their two centers. Yeah, I, no, I agree. I agree. And um, I think Houston's going to win the series. That'll be the Warriors' next matchup. But if it is Utah and Gobert, even a guy like that, like I think the Warriors would welcome, although it's a, a weird-looking matchup of Looney or Jordan Bell or whoever a, against Gobert, I think the Warriors would welcome the fact that Utah was dumping it into Gobert, right? Mm-hmm. Like That's kind of what Nelly used to always do. He'd right. put small guys on big guys and say, okay, go ahead. Right. That guy's terrible in the block. Go ahead. If you want to run your offense through him, do it. Um, so, yeah, I'm not overly concerned about the Warriors' center position um, until it gets to the Western Conference Finals and potentially the finals. Uh, I, I don't think there are a lot of matchups out there that, that scare them. Um, and I then, mean, who even in the West Finals, though? I mean, OKC. I don't see OKC making the West Finals. Yeah. Portland, Nurkic is injured. Right. Um, San Antonio I, with all San players. Antonio maybe yeah but those, those are the two. I don't think it's scary until the finals yeah, yeah. Yep. and you know that's kind of how I felt about this whole playoffs is I don't think there's anyone in the west that is a serious threat for the Warriors but you look at those teams in the east you know it's conceivable that even with a healthy DeMarcus that they could potentially lose a seven game series to a Toronto or a Milwaukee and now without DeMarcus to go up against you know a Marc Gasol or a Brooke Lopez or a, you know, a Joel Embiid or an Al Horford, you know, that that's, that's a daunting matchup for someone like Kavan or, or Andrew Bogut. And can you, can you imagine how Andrew Bogut feels right now? The guy a month ago was hanging out in Australia, entering his off season, thinking he had all this time to hang out with his family, chill in Sydney, maybe go back to Melbourne where he's from. But here he is, stepping into a really key role on a championship favorite in the heart of the playoffs. Like that has to be such an incredibly surreal experience for him. I went over and and talked to him last night in the locker room and he's leaning back in his stall and he's got ice packs everywhere. And he was like, man, this isn't what I signed up for. Just kind of joking. Like, right. He was supposed to come in to wave towels and to be a good teammate. And and it was to him, it was, he was, he was playing, but it was a vacation, right? Like he wasn't thinking about, getting large minutes until he reports to camp for the Australian national team in August. And now all of a sudden he's going to be starting every game. Um, So yeah, a huge change for him. Uh, But I think that you see it already. Like the first game when he reports to San Antonio without even a practice, he already knows 80% of their sets and you you see how comfortable he is with the rest of the guys. And um, you know, on the matchups with the centers, I'm guilty of this as, as anybody. I automatically think of who can DeMarcus guard, who can Andrew Bogut guard, the one thing that would have been interesting with DeMarcus as the playoffs played on was when did they start when where did they start using him to take advantage of opposing players? Because I, right. I, I thought about that when you started thinking about Brooke Lopez and th- like that would have been a tough matchup for him in the finals to go out around the perimeter yeah. with Brooke Lopez. But Brooke Lopez also couldn't guard him in the block. Right. And we saw that last night when the Warriors needed a basket late. They're pulling up for threes. Kevin Durant has decided he doesn't do isolation anymore, then fouls out of the game, right? right? And so that would have been a perfect opportunity to dump it down on Cousins on the block and, and get get a basket, get a good look that way. Um, so we'll never get to see that play out during the playoffs. And I think I, I fall for that all the time is I think who, who can he guard? But I think he it would have been interesting the rest of the playoffs to see how they took advantage of him in the block because there aren't a ton of guys who can guard him down there either. No, that's a, that's a good point. And I'm curious to see how many more minutes – Jordan Bell's going to get. He got a few minutes last night, did not look very good, got yelled at by KD, Draymond, made a lot of mistakes. 
Um, and I, he's a guy who I would be surprised, even though he's a restricted free agent and from a money perspective would, would make sense to bring him back. I would be surprised if they re-signed him this summer. So, you know, you don't necessarily need to have three centers. You'd like to have three centers. You got to think he gets some minutes going forward, but I don't think the Warriors can feel comfortable playing him a lot of meaningful minutes, just given the inconsistencies that he's shown this this season. And you kind of touched upon it just a second ago, but one of the other big takeaways from last night was, what's up with Kevin Durant? That was maybe the worst game I've ever seen him play, ever. And, you know, he wasn't horrible offensively. He only shot eight times. And it was relatively efficient, but he had nine turnovers. He fouled out. He completely let he completely let Patrick Beverly take him out of what he wants to do, and you know that comes a couple of days after Patrick Beverly got him ejected. So you got to wonder what's going on with him if 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 there's just something internal that he's dealing with, or you know what it's going to take for him to get back on track. Yeah, something is not right there. Um... And this has been for a month that he hadn't shot the ball. And he keeps talking about how he wants to be a facilitator and he's reading the game. Well, he's seen a different game than I'm seeing because he keeps talking about there's a double team on him. There's not. You can see the shadow. You can see the guys lurking back there. But he sits there with the ball and waits for the double team that never comes. And then he passes out of it. And you're not gaining an advantage from that. You have to draw the double team. He's seeing something that's not happening yet. Um, and so to me, that means that he just doesn't want to shoot. And I don't know why that is. Um, I don't know w- what's changed in him. I don't know if somebody told him, hey, man, stop chugging it up. Or, yeah. you know, I don't I don't know. But th- there's certainly something wrong there. Um, I think he's a smart basketball player. Usually when he's talking about reading the game and reacting I usually agree with him. I usually see the exact same thing. But what's going on in this series is not what he's seeing. They are not double-teaming him. You almost wonder if it's like a little bit of PTSD from the last playoffs. Because you remember last spring he was getting so much flack for all the isolation, forcing all the ISO. Um, And if they had lost that series against Houston, everyone would have blamed him and said that he ruined everything and he forced all those shots up and – I feel like there's been a few times this season where he's kind of referenced that in the locker room or, or to me, just kind of, hey, uh, you guys just going to write about how I just want to force all these ISOs and blah, blah, blah. And it, it, you can tell it's become a really sensitive topic for him and, and, uh, and uh, you know, the type of thing that he's thinking about. And you wonder if that's affecting his play. I think, you know, he finished the season really strong. Yes, he didn't shoot a lot, but he was getting guys involved. He was shooting super efficiently. I had no problem with that. But last night was a night where they really could have used his offense in that second half. They 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 needed him to take over and be Kevin Durant and hit those fallaway jumpers and just get them going because nothing was working for them. And they weren't moving the ball anyway. So just do your thing, and he wouldn't do it. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I think you hit on one of the biggest problems is Kevin Durant's worried about what people are writing in the media and saying in the media. Why don't you listen to your teammates? Draymond Green said, we're not going to win this thing unless Kevin Durant shoots the ball, right? So your play, your teammates are telling you, yeah. shoot the ball, do your thing. That's why we brought you here. Um, who cares about what everybody else says? Who cares about what the fans say? Think about what your coaches and players are saying. They're telling you, shoot the ball. We need you. Right. Yeah, no, it, yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how he responds to that on Thursday in Game Three because you you know that that's been a talking point among the team in meetings. Hey, man, do your thing. This is why you're here. 
Um, but I thought Kerr put it well last night when he basically just said, we just stopped playing. They literally just stopped playing. And, you know, you got to give credit to the Clippers because to come back from down 31 points in a road playoff game against the two-time defending champs, I mean, that takes balls. That takes guts. And I was super impressed by Lou Williams. That guy just seems to – he just has no fear. He he plays the same game every single night. He goes hard regardless of whether they're up 30 or down 30. And he he is just one of those street ball type scorers that you you love to watch in like Rucker or something. You know, he kind of brings that game and there were there were moments late last night where I was just kind of in awe of what he was able to do. Now, granted, the Warriors were not doing anything defensively. But he was hitting some great shots, hit those big shots down the stretch. And, uh, you know, I don't think the Clippers are going to be a serious threat in this series. But you got to think that last night needs to be a moment where the team, the Warriors step back and they reassess everything. Because this needs to be the type of game where if and when they are hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy in June – they're talking about this game and saying that was a turning point. And if that's not the case, they're probably not going to get there. (laughs) You know, this, you know, so this feels like a really pivotal time right now. No, I think you're exactly right. Um, And it was funny when you were talking about Lou Williams, it it may, it brought me back to our last topic of Kevin Durant. Everybody on the court knows Lou Williams is going left, but he still gets left and he still takes a shot. Nobody can block Kevin Durant's shot. So take your shot. Do your thing. It doesn't matter who's guarding you. Do your thing. Um, This last night's game reminded me a little bit of the Warriors at Memphis during their first championship run in 2015. They were down 2-1. Things looked terrible. Uh, Stephen Curry wouldn't come out of his hotel room in Memphis. He was just beat up. Terrible. Everything's going wrong. Draymond Green made him come out, made him sit there, eat catfish, do whatever that night in Memphis. They completely changed everything. They decided we're not going to guard Tony Allen anymore. We're going to play five-on-four defense. It changed everything. And to me, that was the turning point of the series. That was, I know a lot of people talk about the finals when they put Andre Iguodala into the lineup instead of Andrew Bogut. And, and, of course, that was a huge deal. But they never get there if they don't have that night in Memphis. And I think you're exactly right. This has to be a turning point for them. Um, and it will be. It's either going to be the end of the run or it's going to be the start of the, the, of the, the rest of this run, I guess. Yeah, and, you know, you, there, there's always that possibility with this team, though, that it's just not going to resonate because, you know, I, I, what I could see happening in game three is they go out, they have a great start again, they get up by 20, and then once again, there they are. just stop, They just stop playing. And, you know, if they go down 2-1 against the Clippers, which sounded completely out of the realm of, poss- uh, the realm of possibility a couple of days ago, but I, I think is – plausible at this point if they go down 2-1 I still think they're going to win the series but I mean that is just such a bad tone to set when you're chasing a three-peat because regardless you're going to be entering your next series tired mentally and physically you know you're already without DeMarcus um your depth isn't great that you're just super vulnerable yeah that's right um I did a bad job today I should have we talked about going into the series about how the Clippers were 100 to 1 underdogs, right? I should have called a mathematician today and said, when they were down 31 in game two, what were those odds now? Because yeah. you got to imagine they were absurd. Um, so to me, that that's kind of laughable. And then the other thing is, Andrew Bowie kept saying last night, confidence is a monster. 
when you're down 31 and we're not playing defense, all of a sudden you start seeing the ball go in. And then even when the Warriors tried to come back in, when they were challenged, tried to start playing defense again, that confidence is already there. So you mentioned going to L.A. for game three and jumping up early, jumping up by 20. Well, they better. Because if they don't jump up, that confidence is just going to keep rolling for the Clippers. And we've already seen that even when the Warriors tried to start defending them after that, if that confidence is there, they're unstoppable. Yeah, no, and I I wasn't in the locker room last night because I, I was kind of on presser duty. But the guys who came to the podium, I was a little surprised by how, I don't know, they just seemed a little bit unfazed. And you, you part of me wanted to see them distraught and upset and angry. Because that was embarrassing. That's not them, though. I know that's not them, but maybe it should be. Maybe. You know, yep. that's what I'm yep. saying is maybe it's good for them to be angry right now. Because that was flat out embarrassing. You did something that no one in NBA history has ever yeah. done. And it was a negative thing. Now, you're used to breaking records, but they're usually positive records. <laughs> it's rare that you are, are on the the bad side of a record. And to, to give up a 31-point lead to a team that's considered the biggest underdog in playoff history at home is just pathetic. But you know the Warriors will – they don't think about that at all. They think about, well, we're going to be the first team in history to win a championship after giving up a 31-point lead at home. Right. You know what I mean? Like, And that – it's interesting. I heard debates today about the Clippers' identity is obvious. They follow Beverly. They do gritty, grimy stuff. And they bring their two best players off the bench. You can tell exactly who the Clippers are. They're not changing. That's who they are. The Warriors' identity used to be joy. And as I watched them from the outside for most of the year and then has started to be around a little bit more this last month, I, I don't know where that joy is. There is still this uh, yeah. this nonchalant thing of nothing can break us and it doesn't matter if we blow a 31-point lead. But the sheer happiness they used to play with is gone. And so I think they need to either find a new identity or reclaim that one. It, that one worked. Can you get back to that with now without DeMarcus being around, with Kevin Durant deciding that he doesn't want to shoot, you know, with all these different yeah. with all these different people talking about summer and free agency, with all these different factors going on, can you still have fun on the court? Not to not to sensationalize the situation, but I've been feeling like all season that there's just something off with this team. It just didn't feel right. There what kind of what you were talking about. There wasn't that joy. They didn't seem to like each other, at least in the same way that they used to. It just felt like it felt, a lot of things felt forced and awkward. Um, and I felt like the past month or so, things were starting to calm down. They were seeing, they were seeing the playoffs. They were seeing that light at, light at the end of the tunnel, and it felt like things were kind of starting to come together. But last night, to me, was a good reminder of things are not right with this team. And you can kind of gloss over it for a while. You can, you can, you know, smooth the edges for a few weeks at a time. But when the stakes get heightened and push comes to shove, if you don't have that foundation that you're used to having in terms of that locker room ethos, that joy, that positivity, then that's going to surface at some point. And I think that's part of what happened uh, last night. I don't think a team that's truly together gives up a 31-point lead in the second half of a playoff game. I just, there's a reason why that's never happened before. Um, so there's, there's real issues with this team. And um, I honestly think that even if they win the title, they're going to do it despite those issues. I don't see those issues going away at this point. No, I think you're right. They're, they're so stinking talented that they might still pull this off. 
But yeah, some, something's definitely broken there. Now, I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility that Grandpa Andre and Sean step up in the locker room at the facility at some point and say, look, man, we got to get our acts together. Our talent is only going to take us so far. The league is starting to catch up. We got we to gotta be tight again. We have to have fun again. Um, and I think those two guys' voices are so strong that the, the other people will listen. But that, that conversation needs to happen. It probably needed to happen a while ago. I would... I actually think it'd be better if it was Andre and Sean rather than Draymond. I agree. And it's probably going to be Draymond. Yep. And just given how I've seen players interact with Draymond, how I've seen his voice be felt this season, it doesn't feel like he, it's resonating like it used to. And I don't I don't necessarily want to get into why that might be because that's just complete speculation on my part. But I think they need someone – who's been through the battles, who's not Draymond. And I, I don't mean that as a, a slight to Draymond. He, he He's very valuable, but I just think they want a new voice. And um, it'll be interesting. I thought it was I thought it was kind of intriguing last night that Draymond and KD both got out of the locker room as soon as humanly possible to not talk to media. And my thing was the two people that should be talking to media right now are Draymond and KD. And the fact that they didn't and they got out of there, I thought was telling. It does not reflect well on them or the team. That's right. That's right. It, it, it's it's so interesting in times like that that um, the media sits around. They want answers, right? And and so who do you go to? The voices of the team. And and when they don't want to be those voices, um, I think I think you're right. I think that is very telling. And it'd be interesting to talk to Draymond about this. And I, and I will um, because I've heard him say before about about coaches that if they're just constantly harping on you, like eventually you stop listening, right? So I think he understands that dynamic. Um, Early in his career, Kobe Bryant told him, you have to create some conflict. Even when things are going right, you have to create some conflict to to keep the intensity level up. And I think think it'd be interesting to hear his perception on that. Like, do people still hear his voice? Do people realize that sometimes he was legitimately creating the conflict? It wasn't there. So does, does that wear out? Do people realize that, oh man, he's just stirring something up there's nothing really there um and it'd be interesting to he's the only one who knows it'd be interesting to know right. from him um if he thinks that that his voice is getting lost on these guys right now yeah i mean you wonder if he would be honest in that moment i mean you there have been several times throughout the season where you you see tv cameras will catch him in the, in the huddle and he'll be rallying the guys up like he used to and there's just guys either just not even looking at him walking or just off. or just yeah. walking away or just staring blankly and that was not the case a couple of years ago, you know, and I, I, we've all been around people like this, you know, well-intentioned people that probably bring a lot to the, to any workplace dynamic. But if you're that guy who's constantly yelling and up in everyone's face all the time, you know, as a coworker in any work situation, you're probably going to get tired of hearing it. You know, you're probably going to start tuning them out at some point. That's just human nature. I don't think it's anything necessarily personal to Draymond. No, I think you're exactly right. And, specifically for hoop that's why you don't see a lot of those kind of coaches in the nba it works in college because you reshuffle the decks every four years you got new people they're hearing your messages new um and so it's fresh to them and and it 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 hits home um in the nba there haven't been a ton of coaches who were like that they were just constantly harping on you 
um, and not a lot of players. That, that's one of the reasons why when I thought about Draymond and Kobe, it makes it even more remarkable that Kobe was with the Lakers for so long because a lot of those guys were hearing the message over and over again, but he found a way to make it new or to make it unique to that person. Um, and so that's what, if Draymond still wants to be the voice, that's what he has to do. He has to find a way to make them know that it's not him creating conflict. These are real things that need to be said and they need to hear them. And as great as KD is a player and, you know, he'll go down as one of the greatest of all time, obviously first battle hall of famer, arguably the greatest scorer of all time. There's just something missing with him from a leadership standpoint, from a persona standpoint. You know, he, I don't think he's been in the league 12 years now. He's 30 years old. I don't think he fully gets it. I don't think he I don't think he gets what truly being a franchise guy means. And it's interesting because now he's in his third he's finishing his third season with the Warriors and he's had a daily reminder of what that should look like in Steph Curry and it doesn't feel like he's taken much from that. I don't I don't I don't know why. I just think he's so in his head like last night was a great opportunity for him to stand up, sit down, you know, at that presser and own his bad game and, you know, just preach moving on to the next one. It doesn't have to be he can get he can feed us clichés. You know, I we I don't care. I just wanted to see him up there. And, you know, Steph did that. Uh, he, he always does that. You never see Steph dip out of a, a media availability. And the thing is, I don't think that KD sees any, the value in that. I, I, I think his thing is, I don't need you guys. You're, you, I don't need the media. I'm Kevin Durant. Like, I, I'm, I'm a self-made guy. I am who I am. And while I gr- agree with that to a certain standpoint, I've actually talked to him about this exact topic this season and my thing is, look, you're you're who you are. I, I and I respect the hell out of what you've made yourself, but this is this is a there is a framework here. There's a process, and you have to respect the process if you really want to to be respected on a national level. That's just that's just how it is. Yeah. No, and and it was interesting to hear you say that, you know, he's, he might be right. Like he doesn't need the press conferences. He doesn't need the media. There are so many ways for players to reach out now with social media and things that, that might be right. But here, here's the thing that I would tell him if I was a coach was the chances that all 12 or 15 guys are going to be in the same place at the same time are very rare, right? They're not in the locker room very often at the same time, even at the facility, they're not in the same place at the same time. Somebody's working out, somebody's eating breakfast, somebody's in the actual locker room, somebody's on the court getting up jumpers. Um, so to have what you have when you have cameras and recorders in front of you is you have a captive audience for everybody who wants to listen. And to me, as a player, I would use that as my way to talk to everybody. I'm talking to my teammates. I'm talking to my coaches. I'm talking to the officials about what I need them to call against Patrick Beverly in the next game. I think he's missing an opportunity there to have as many eyes, as many ears as he can possibly have. Get in the press conference, take your lumps, say what you need to say. But you can use that as an outlet to speak to the entire team at once. Yeah, no, you make you make great points. Um we we ran a little long tonight or today. We we usually try to keep this under 30, but there's just so much to talk about it's going to be such an interesting playoffs uh, and because of that we're going to be having more warriors off court during the regular season we this came out about once a week uh during the postseason we're going to be having one of these between every two games so uh 
a few times every week. So it should be fun. Stay locked and loaded. I'm sure Rusty will be joining me a few more times. Only if they blow another 31-point lead. That's the only time I come back. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been good having Rusty on the beat. It's been good. Uh, it's been good just having a lot of people around. It's been. I feel like we've had good coverage. Please follow us at sfchronicle.com, and uh, we'll have all the bases covered. I want to thank Rusty Simmons for joining me on this week's podcast. It's always good chatting Warriors with someone who has followed the team as long as he has. Warriors Off Court is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at con underscore cron and email me at cleturno at sfchronicle.com. Support Warriors Off Court and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. Subscribe.